says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to preview all the Round 10 action, Magic Round, as it were, is my good mate, 60s. How you doing, big fella? Mate, I'm doing really well. And just a quick shout out to our listeners because we're always amazed with the great following and the, the people that get in touch about the podcast. So thank you to everyone for listening and for uh, giving us a bit of feedback. Big weekend for us, even though we haven't got rugby league happening in Sydney. Later today, you and I, we're heading out to Cabramatta Golf Club for the VGA Golf Day that's sponsored by Paraleague. So we're looking forward to the luncheon there and catching up with some of the Eels legends and uh, maybe uh, some current staff that will be out there on the day. Uh, we've then, of course, got the big day out at Paraleagues on Sunday with their own version of Magic Round Day 3 with the big outdoor screen and the barbecue facilities and the outdoor bar and the, the fun activities for the kids. As usual, we'll be inside the club at Jack's Bar and Grill doing our preview of the big match from 5.30, switching to coverage from 6 o'clock for all the interviews with players, coaches, that sort of stuff. And then our instant reaction straight after it. Big weekend, as I said, mate. Big weekend. Yes, plenty happening, mate. And as always, a quick thanks to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, Northmead, and Star Partners, Narellon, Auburn, and Parramatta, making the tip sheet happen week in and week out. Let's get into oh, this. Oh, uh, I, should, I should say, I should say, mate, hopefully any of the really casual golfers that are hitting the links today have maybe done their practice rounds at big swing golf at north mead it would have been if an opportunity out on the course, opportune time to hit the indoor course at big swing yeah. tune up and then get out to the actual links and uh you know nail those holes so yeah it's a great opportunity there if you if you had it to use the uh, indoor driving facility there at big swing all right let's get into our preview 60s it's easy this week just the two games for the eels starts off on saturday uh, three o'clock pick, uh, three o'clock p.m. kickoff. Sorry, out at North Sydney Oval as part of New South Wales Cups sort of mini Magic Round. They've got a battery of games at North Sydney Oval, a battery of games at uh, I believe Blacktown. Now it was initially going to be, uh, gosh, I can't remember the original venue, but they changed it. Uh, Ironbark, uh, Ironbark, aka Redfern Oval. They've been uh, replaced or moved, but in this particular venue, this particular game, the Eels take on the Western Suburbs Magpies. Uh, Eels looking to build off a big win over the Newcastle Knights in this grade 60s so after a couple of tough um, tough outings against the Warriors and Bulldogs in particular. Eels shape up like this at fullback. Uh, full full uh, Dejan Arcee on the wings. You've got Isaac Lumilumi and Chris Tupo. Sean Russell drops out of the NRL team where he'll play, uh, play in the centres in Cup. He's joined in the centres by Zach Sini, Jordan Rankin and Jake Arthur of the halves. Offer Hickey Ogden, Jeremiah Masia, the two bookends. Ogden, obviously, unfortunately, uh, a victim of uh, reserve, uh, oh, sorry, troops coming back into the NRL in the shape of Ryan Madison. Uh, Manny Luke is a dummy half. Matt Dury, Jack Murchie, and Luca Moridi, the back rowers. On the interchange, Jaden Yates, Tony Matelli, Tavita Tamapenu, and the, uh, the big hyphen, 
Jonte Jr., Beth Mesa, the uh, lone oh, Jersey flag player coming up with their buy. Uh, they're taking on the Western Suburbs Magpies, Dane Laurie, uh, Will Smith. Jeez, uh, it's uh, Sean Bloor. I think that's the... Uh, I think Manai Cherrington's played a little bit of NRL too, but they're a, a team very short on NRL experience and not too many big names there. If I just checked in yourself, I was really glad the uh, Magpies are actually in the uh, ahead of the Eels. So they're at five wins and three losses. The Parramatta's four wins, four losses, and a draw. Uh, so this is actually a pretty important game for the Eels to get under their belts, and they did beat them a couple weeks back, 10-6, in a very, very ugly game. It was an ugly game, and I should correct myself on the comment before about no football in Sydney. I meant no NRL mm, mm. in Sydney. But, of course, we have the lower grades. We've had the city versus country matches taking place uh, this week. So, uh, yes, there is footy to get get out there and watch. Just no NRL uh, senior football that's, uh, that's out there. But, yes, it did surprise a bit to see that the West Magpies were ahead of the Eels on the ladder. And they've had some good wins lately. So, I... I guess it's one of those instances where a team that's the um, the feeder team for the main NRL side has been performing a, as a unit. I don't know that there's too many players that are necessarily putting the pressure on the first grade team, but they're functioning as a unit. And there's, you mentioned a couple of names here that we are familiar with. It's, it's interesting that uh, Will Smith hasn't been able to put pressure on uh, to come off the bench. Yeah, he, he seems like a great fit for the West Tigers off the interchange and, you know, a guy that can play across the back line in the halves, dummy half, lock forward. You know, that's a, a pretty valuable commodity, but for whatever reason, he's sort of languishing in reserve grade. What's your take on Sean Bloor too, Forty? Because he was someone that I always had quite a lot of time when he was coming through at Penrith and then he he had that famous uh, blow-up with, uh, was it Nathan Brown? Yeah, he had that yeah. sort of two-minute skirmish with Nathan Brown that really catapulted him into the spotlight. But then I think some middling form and, and some bad luck of injury sort of set him back and I don't think he's been able to gain any traction since. So it's uh, yeah. you know just that combination of uh, you know struggling for form but struggling for form because of injuries too. So... I think and, the talent's there. Mate. Yeah, and, and, you know, West Tigers, when you're down on your luck as a player, the West Tigers are not a great place to be given their struggles on the macro level as a team. Yeah, you know, the yeah, support networks, true. The support networks but, to get through it aren't really there. But talking about struggles as a team, uh, the Eels have had the most bizarre up-and-down season mm-hmm. in, in New South Wales Cup that I can recall. I mean, we're talking about wildly fluctuating form, yes. wildly fluctuating form. They had a run of really good matches after dropping the first two matches of the year. Um, and But one of those early matches was against the Jets where they just got absolutely toweled up. And then prior to this weekend, they had two real lopsided defeats to... Um, so we had the uh, the Bulldogs twenty eight six. Yeah, did a number on them, and I'm just trying to think what the um, 
the other match was. The Warriors couldn't even bring up half oh, a century, mate. It was only 48-4. You know, oh. that's disgusting for the Warriors. Shame on them. Yeah. No, yeah that, and the Eels obviously having to travel for an early morning Sunday game over in Auckland uh, with a, a lot of troops out because of the Darwin uh, week that was there. They had a couple of guys racing back to be there, but between passports and uh, that, there was a it was a like a reserve reserve grade team essentially, and they got pumped. Yeah, uh, but, but then it they bounced back. I, mean, uh, <clears throat> I think that the players that did go across were deeply, deeply disappointed in their own performances. So, thankfully, we saw a, a major bounce back, albeit against the the bottom place Newcastle team in the New South Wales Cup. But they did what they needed to do against them. So it's it's all very well to, for any critics to say, "Oh, look at look at the Knights' form this year." They should have done that. Well, yeah, they should have done it. They did do it. So we can't really ask for anything more. If they got to claw their way back towards a little bit of form, that's the way to go about it. Is you get the job done when you're in matches where you should get the job done. Yeah. And um, we've we've only uh, because there was the clash, we weren't get able to get out to uh, cover that game. We were at Leichhardt Oval for the SG Ball Grand Final when this match was being played up at Kellyville, and uh, it was also good too that uh, there were there were people like Jordan Rankin who played in this match. And then hightailed it out to yeah to, know, to support the SG War Boys yeah yeah well he's he's got a he's got a coaching well in official he, he was there in official capacity yes but uh, you know between that and the NRL boys also turning up it was a terrific effort from the senior members of the NRL club uh, to you know, show camaraderie for the and community for the club yes yeah absolutely so uh, and again it was we should mention it it was. What we've seen with the highlights was um, some spectacular tries and and also what looked like and we've had a bit of feedback about the matches about the match as well. Uh, great form from uh, the likes of many Luke for a start, which is something that we wanted to see real encouraging form from Dejan Arcee. Uh, we, we expect the consistent form that we get from Jake Arthur week in week out. And um, he again produced in, in that regard, and I think we had a try double from um, Matt Dury, yep, and some strong form from Jack Murchie as well. So we've got uh, players that we've just rattled off there that may, at some stage, be required to come up and fill in in the NRL team, depending on the circumstances. So uh, good to see that that sort of strength in performance, but how they'll go against the West Magpies. I, I, when we were speaking earlier in the week in our news episode, I did say to you, I, I don't know how I can call or how I can make a prediction on how the team will actually perform because, because it's been so wildly fluctuating. I, and there's, to me, there doesn't seem rhyme nor reason about how they're going to necessarily perform. So, um, yeah, they they had that narrow win against the Magpies when they clashed a number of weeks ago. We you talked about it was a it was an absolute 
It was ugly uh, as sin, ugly. wasn't it? Like, you know, you, you don't want to uh, talk bad on wins, and obviously you always appreciate a, a win regardless of how good or bad it was, but that one was a <laughs> certainly one for the record books. Well, the performance was flat, to yeah. say the least. And it ref- was reflective the- in first grade too, wasn't it? It was one of those weird yeah. days. Yeah, um, but by the same token, the, the Magpies are now ahead of them on the table, and they got the job done against the Magpies, so... You'd like to think they'll take something from beating them before, um, something in the way of confidence from their performance last week, but they just have to go out there and get the basics done. Yeah, and we've we've spoken about it. I mean, it's it's captain obvious stuff, but complete your sets, get to the kick, you know, build pressure. They they're just they're just the basics of rugby league, and the fact is that at the New South Wales Cup level, let alone at the NRL level, you're halfway towards earning a win as soon as you're getting a higher completion rate. So that has to be the the first step for them uh, because we know that uh, Jake Arthur has an elite kicking game. He can can land, uh, if they're in the red zone, he can land the attacking kicks wherever he wants to. He's got a... He's got a long kicking game that it's not quite in the Mitch Moses uh, category in terms of the um, the length of the kicks, but it's not far off. And he's only twenty years of age, so he uh, just getting him to the kicks is critical. We look, we spoke about that um, with Nathan Brown with the SG SG ball team with Ethan Sanders having a, a good kicking game. He said, well, the, the key to how they've been going in the finals football was that they were completing the sets and get, actually getting to the kick. So he was able to utilise the kick. It is so it is so crucial to finish the sets strongly rather than just not getting to... If you've got an elite kicker in your team, you've got to get to that kick. So to me, that's going to be crucial in this game. Forced to make a tip, mate. I reckon the Eels by four points again. Yeah, I, if the Eels are winning, I don't think they're going to be winning by a huge margin. So I'll I'll tip maybe in the range of six to eight points uh, victory for the, the blue and gold. Yes, yes. Which brings okay. us to so, the main event. Uh, so we will, uh, do you want to do the uh, other teams first or do you want to do us now? How about, how about we go into us first? Followed by we we this week we're going to give our uh, our tips for all of the matches, and I think it's important that we go we go straight into the eels. We'll wrap up with the uh, other matches, and then we might have a surprise at the end. All right, well, let's start with the Parramatta Eels. Unfortunately, as we sort of discussed in our NRL and news podcast with Clint, they're taking place as the final fixture in Magic Round. So bless up on all those knees and ankles and lower leg joints and ligaments. Uh, hoping that that chopped up Suncorp, uh, Suncorp turf doesn't come back to hurt us. But they're taking on the Gold Coast Titans. 6.25pm kickoff out at uh, Suncorp Stadium. Uh, Eels taking on the Titans. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Titans here got the team with, sorry. Uh, they've got a couple of changes this week. Uh, most in particular at fullback with uh, the AJ Brimson, very talented player, out with what I believe is a hamstring injury 60s. Uh, he had to depart the field last week. Uh, with Jaden Campbell coming off the bench into the fullback role. Pretty handy player to have on your bench for that sort of injury. 
and uh, he will take his place at fullback right now as it stands. Although there is some speculation he could move into the halves if Kieran Foran isn't good to go. Uh, but right now, Campbell at fullback. You got uh, Carm Pereira and Sami on the wings. Brian Kelly, Jojo Fafita in the centres. Uh, Foran and Tanner Boyd in the halves. Mo Fodawaka, Tino Fa'asuma Ali in the front row. Chris Randall is their dummy half. In the back row, David Fafita is on the left edge. Joe Simpson on the right. Isaac Liu at lock forward. On the interchange, Cruz, Leeming, Aaron Clark, Cleese Haas and Joe Vuna. Extend the roster, Keanu Keeney, who is a player that would come to fullback uh, with Campbell going to the halves if Foran isn't good to go. And then Extend the roster also features Aaron Shop, who is just out of favour at the Gold Coast. Tom Weaver, Thomas McCowie, who they picked up from the ESL, coming back to Australia. And then Sam McIntyre. For the Eel 60s, a couple of changes for us as well. Fullback Clinton Gufferson, Mike Acevo and Hayes Dunster on the flanks. Will Penasini and Bailey Simonson in the centres. Bailey coming back into the team after that mandatory one-week stand-down for a concussion, a Cat 1 concussion. Pushes Sean Russell out of the roster. We already talked about him playing New South Wales Cup. In the halves, unchanged, Brown and Moses. Front row, Greg Hodgson-Barlaw, unchanged from last uh, game as well. In the back row, though, we do have a change. Sean Lane on the left. Andrew Davey gets an expedited return to the starting team. He'll be on the right after playing Reggie's last week. Uh, he pushes Bryce Cartwright back to the interchange. Jermaine Hopgood will play from lock forward. Now the bench looks a little bit more beefed up, actually. Bryce Cartwright, Brendan Hands, Ryan Madison, Mac Hesse, Makatoa. So it looks like Davey and Cartwright operating as a battery uh, on the uh, right edge. Uh, freeing up, sorry, Ryan Madison to focus on reinforcing the middle. Uh, with the extended roster, Jake Arthur, Sean Russell, Offa Hickey Ogden, Matt Dury, and Jack Murchie. Chris Butler's got the whistle. Uh, ben Cummings is in the box. Uh, and then, yeah, it's uh, all the main details in terms of this particular clash, mate. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, are they going to take a fresh reserve up there or are they going to rely on someone that plays on Saturday? And then gets... Flying, flying up there Sunday morning to be the fresh reserve, the uh, concussion sub. Um, I would imagine that that would fall to Jake Arthur to be the concussion sub, but you'd have to also think that they would fly up uh, someone else as well to be a... Yeah, you probably have an 18th uh, and 19th. An extra, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you don't want to be interstate with uh, limited options if someone has an issue in... Uh, warm-ups or, um, or or something happens before the game and you just don't have time to get anyone up there. So, mate, you, as you were going through the Gold Coast team, I was thinking um, strike player, strike player, so-so. Uh, yeah. You can see why they can explode out in the first half to big leads. And also yep. why they can fade out in the second half because if one of those or any number of those strike plays gets hot, uh, you know they can really cause a, an offensive torrent of points. But on the flip side, when things get a little bit tougher and tighter, uh, they just don't have the consistency for the roster to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. So can you run through their bench for us again? So you've got Leeming, Clark, Haas and Vuna. Uh, all young players, I'm pretty certain. Uh, Aaron Clark, of course, a one time he was he was in our system, but never got a chance to actually play for us. Uh, we recruited him as a young lad, and he ended up staying in New Zealand, uh, and then made his way to the Gold Coast Titans, obviously. Uh, but 
Yeah, um, not so they've they've actually got two players who are effectively dummy halves. Um, I, I like Aaron Clark's now and are leaving a bit more of a utility. Yeah, he he plays a lock forward as well now. Uh, yeah. With that, you know, that sort of trend towards ball playing lock forwards. Uh, but yeah, Leamy and Clark give him that extended coverage at dummy half. Uh, and then you've got Cleese Haas, who is a young back rower, uh, who I believe is related to Payne Haas, if I'm not mistaken. Is he his younger brother? Brother or cousin? I'm not sure. Uh, nephew of Mark Tafua. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, so he's a 21-year-old back rower, and then you got Joe Vuna rounding out the interchange, and he's a 24-year-old, uh, what does he play? Second row as well, yeah. So, yeah, it's um, it's certainly not the uh, highest profile interchange roster, uh, but you contrast that against uh, Campbell, who's obviously an exciting young fullback. Cam Pereira is a very impressive young prospect that's got a nose for the try line. Philip Sami's in great touch, 60s. He's uh, wreaking all sorts of havoc out there on the edges. And then in the forwards, Fodawaka, Fa'a, Suma, Ali, uh, and Fafida, uh, a, for, uh, a fearsome triumvirate of forwards. Uh, and guys like sort of Stimson and Lou, I suppose, provide more of the consistency. Uh, but yeah, like I said, you can see why the Gold Coast are capable of these, you know, explosions of point scoring. Uh, the question would be... And sorry, you sir? Sorry, I was... Yeah, no, sorry, continue. continue. I was say the question would be how much can the Eels inhibit that, you know, opening flurry and then, you know, get into their own groove and, and put on their own amount of pressure? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get onto that in a moment, but we haven't touched on the fact that uh, leaming from the Gold Coast it would be the only player probably in the history of the NRL to come from the kingdom of Eswatani, which was which was formerly Swaziland, so that's where he was born. So he's uh, an uh, of African heritage, and of course went to the um, ended up playing rugby league in the Super League. Yeah, Started and uh, now is now is in the NRL. But talk about a um, you know the the multiculturalism of the NRL coming to the fore there. Someone from Eswatani. It's it's quite remarkable. So, it, and he's 27 years of age too. So, he's not what you'd call a youngster. He's had a, a, a long time in the Super League over there and he's decided to chance his hand over here at the in the NRL, it's almost, I guess, in in one sense, it's almost akin to those late debuts you see from the likes of Andy Davies, yeah, who who debuted at like twenty seven, twenty eight, uh, what whatever the age was by the time he he finally got his NRL debut with the Eels. So, uh, and there's been a couple of others in more recent times that have debuted later in life. It's um, and as I said, although he was was playing top grade rugby league over in the the uk just to see someone chance their hand like andrew davey did with coming down from uh, queensland and having that long history of football in the uh queensland cup chancing his hand in the nrl because you gotta you've gotta completely uproot your life that you have 
And um, yep. so Not someone at 27 move. uprooting a life over in England. Going across where the world. Absolute, yeah, absolutely no guarantee of playing first grade. No guarantee of playing first grade. Not when you've got players ahead of you that have that have played in that dummy half position. Um, and he's, he's still coming off the bench. And he's coming off the bench when they had the likes, as we said, of Aaron Clark, who would have been ahead of him in in terms of local experience coming off uh, and playing at dummy half, um, as well as um, Tanner Boyd, who is, has now switched to the halves, but he would have been as well a dummy half option for the Gold Coast Titans. So he certainly, theoretically, uh, the great unknown as to whether he was going to get any NRL time whatsoever. So, yeah, interesting sidelight there. So, mate, we're... As to what sort of threat the Gold Coast posed to the Eels, I think we've won something like the last seven or eight. Yeah, and it's actually, it's actually, I think we won the last seven in a row, and it's actually tipped our historic win rate against the Titans in Parramatta's favour, 12 wins to their 11, which is kind of hard to believe that we'd had that many struggles against them. But when you think back to those early days, I think they had a lot of scrappy wins against us. And they, you know, they managed to. Get out to yeah. So we had three losses in a row at the start, uh, and then we famously beat them in that '09 uh, final. Uh, then we had uh, another string of three losses from 2012 to 2013, which is no shock given how bad we were. <laughs> I uh, was going to say that's um, that wasn't a surprise in any way, shape, or form across those years. Ba Ba takes over in 2014. We get a win, then a couple of really tight losses, a win, a couple of losses. And then a whole string of W's, seven of them. So that tips the uh, the historical win data in Parramatta's favour. Uh, and then the other thing I suppose to consider is Magic Round as, as a whole, uh, how's it treated the Parramatta Reels? And it, in its except, in inception, we don't really talk about it, but that was the year that the Melbourne Storm put 64 on us. Uh, and then in 2020, there was no Magic Round because of the uh, COVID bubble. And then 21, the Eels. Uh, which was Jake Arthur's debut game, if I'm not mistaken, 60s. Uh, against the Warriors. Against the Warriors, 34-18. And then last year we lost in a thriller against the Roosters, uh, 31-24. That was actually a pretty, as far as losses go, a fairly entertaining game. Uh, and then that brings us to this year against the Titans. So on uh, historic form, uh, loss, win, loss, we're due for a W. Uh, but yeah, the, the Titans are a very difficult team to evaluate this year. Uh, they've... Uh, being guilty of uh, big-time second-half fades. We saw last week against Manly, they were able to make an attitude adjustment when it looked like that the dominoes were going to fall against them once again. They uh, sucked it up, sucked it in, and managed to get the win. But the week before, was it? It was the Dolphins game, and that one was a brutal collapse in the second half. I, I think what I'm guarded against is the Eels playing anything that resembles touch football against the Titans. Which is what we were guilty of round one last year. Yeah, absolutely. We were were heading towards like a a 40 to 36 loss the way that it was going in that first half because we started out like the proverbial house on fire and – but then – we started to open up, our defence started to open up as well and it seemed like we were going try for try and what was it, a, a six-point margin at half-time from 
memories or, or was it closer? But I, I just remember sitting there thinking, this is not what I want to see today. I don't want to see the Eels playing that type of touch football that was on display. And at the time, that was when Jake Arthur was on the bench and I think he had to come on in the halves. And was Dylan Brown moved to moved out to centre? Yeah, Sean Russell then, got the uh, rib injury. Yeah, that's right. So we had the reshuffle in the second half and then it was a really tight second half. I think there, there was what, six points scored or something like that that we might have scored? But anyway, it was... to I believe, at halftime, and then the the Gold Coast struck in the 41st minute and converted to make it 28 or... Uh, was it 28? No, it would have been 26-22, and then the Eels kicked the trio of penalty goals. That's it. That's it, yeah. So I knew that there was the penalty goals, the, the, the six points there, but it was... I, to be honest, I, I, I was happy when Jake Arthur came on and just, they just played it tight. Like he, he kept working the play back towards the middle. And I thought I was glad that we got into the grind with the play against the Titans. And so I'm wondering again, that that Parramatta football that we prefer, which is just drive through the middle, win, win that part of the field first Lay the platform, and we're going to. I'm trotting out rugby league cliches, <laughs> here, but it's, but it's, it's. They're just cliches the for a reason. Uh, yes, it's always fun to make fun of you know rugby league idioms, cliches, uh, all those sort of things. But the reason why you talk about building a platform, going set for set, you know, getting into the grind, is because these are things that tend to trend towards victory in a given contest. Yeah, and especially with the the team structure that the Eels have, which is that when we generate the space through the forwards, getting the defence marching backwards, we, that's when our, that, that's when the, the likes of Moses and Dylan Brown and Clint Gutherson are at their best because they get that, they, they get that extra room to do something and they, or they, they have the, the middle of the ruck back peddling and they can unleash Moses can unleash one of those runs just on the edge of the ruck where his acceleration comes in comes to the fore because he loves those that tired defense. Yes. He just he, he might just sometimes he might drift a little bit and then accelerate. Other times he just takes off like beside the ruck. And next thing he's through on the other side. And once Moses is through on the other side, well, he's got the pace to cause all sorts of problems for the fullback, run around the fullback just, or just pin his ears back and go for the corner and challenge the fullback to, to be able to get anywhere near him. But we need that middle to be one. And we saw last week that the Newcastle defensive line became quite passive. They were standing on their eels and waiting for the eels to come to them now it's a fair call that maybe the knights were ready for their holiday <laughs> i mean that's one of the more remarkable things that's come out this week is knights players being on holiday in bali and you think hey if they've planned to be going away to places like that little wonder that 
football was maybe not at the forefront of their headspace coming into the game against the Eels. It's it's like the average worker who's yeah checked you know, out on the, checked the Thursday out. or Friday before the, the, the yeah their trip to somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So look, as I said, it's it's fair call to say that the the Eels were playing against a a very passive line, but my goodness, the 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 likes of Ogden and Makatoa especially when they came on, they were coming off the back fence. There's another cliche for you, <laughs> but they were. The, the mobility and the power in their runs, they they were getting that first 10 metres almost unchallenged for a start. So they they had a head of steam by the time that that first defender was coming to them. Um, in contrast, Wiramu Greg, that leg drive, once he hit contact, was uh, I was quite surprised that his post-contact meters weren't higher than what they were at the end of the game. But the, it seems like the more game time that he's getting, the better. So he's obviously not up in Reg's uh, class of player just at the moment. But if they can get that job done through the middle, then I think looking at the, uh, the Gold Coast have that, um, those flashy sort of players that look like they're capable of doing anything their back line. But we know that defensively, when they when they fall out of the zone, they fall out in a big way. And um, I think if we get the basics done well, then we let the points take care of themselves after that. And I, and I don't think we can I don't think we can be thinking about last week's scoreline in any way. I don't think the players can afford to be thinking about the Gold Coast's collapse the previous week. They just have to be treating them with respect right from the start and go about playing Parramatta footy the best way that they can. It's an interesting game in the uh, macro scope of the season too because getting a beat on Parramatta's form has been difficult. Uh, we've, we've had, obviously, the good win against Penrith, which is really the flagship win of the season so far, but uh, a difficult loss against the Roosters in which we had a couple of Simbins that meant that it was never really a contest. Uh, a very lethargic win over the West Tigers. Uh, a good but unpolished win against the Bulldogs, followed up by a rough five-day turnaround to Darwin where we played an awful opening 40 minutes and then still somehow nearly made a run at them where we should have had that uh, two-man advantage at one point, which was then backed up into what was essentially a training run against Newcastle. The, the Eels' draw has been so bizarre in terms of versing opponents in inopportune times, good teams coming off buys, uh, or five-day turnarounds in the case of the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, so it's been very difficult to get a real beat on how the Eels are travelling. This might be the first game where there's some normalcy, I suppose, about approaching their opponents uh, and be able to you know, get, a, get a, f- a finger on the pulse of how they're travelling. And even then, it's the last game of Magic Rounds. We've got the turf concerns, but I'm, I'm putting them to the side for the moment. There's been a seven-day turnaround, or a plus seven-day turnaround for the Eels against the, uh, from the Newcastle game to this one. So they've got a chance to be fit and rested. And yeah, I, I hope that that gets them in the right space mentally and physically to get Parramatta football well and truly underway this season. One of the interesting things with this year compared to last year is last year we kept enough wins rolling along that we started out in the top eight 
and we continued along and eventually, of course, were able to uh, work our way into the top four. But there was fluctuating form last year. It was wildly fluctuating, almost like the Reggies this year, where we had games where it was fair to say that the performances were phoned in um, against the Broncos that th- that Thursday night at, at Combank Stadium. South Sydney. Uh, the, the obligatory and we're, and we're, failure. We're about to find out about South Sydney a couple of weeks down the road about how the Eels are going to match up against one of the powerhouses this year. That's a yeah. problem for them. But, yeah, the... Yeah, but the but there was like there were just um, the that game against the West Tigers will give yeah, the game I think their first win of the year yep. last year. They, they, the game against the Bulldogs. And, we got uh, towed up, yeah, around was it round eight, round nine last year. Yeah, what was um, it thirty-two nil or something? Yeah, like something that? like that. Uh, yeah, so the while we've had more losses uh, relative to the run this time last year. We've done a much better job of keeping those losses uh, within competitive ranges, and that's a big part I of think, why. Um, I think it has to do with what we've had is has been um, maybe it's not so much a wildly fluctuating form, but the execution has been has been something that's varied greatly this year. The the effort, uh, yeah, we've looked. We've had we've had some halves of football which haven't been great. Like that first half um, against the Broncos up in Darwin was a very, very ordinary effort. But then they lifted in the second half. And whilst they weren't able to get the job done, it, it was difficult to question the effort. Last year, there were times where you just had to question the effort. You just had to say, what is going on here? Why haven't they... And again, the cliche, they didn't turn up. There were games last year where they didn't turn up. I don't think I could accuse the Eels of not turning up in a game. I think I could accuse them of having poor execution in some matches. I think I could accuse them of having poor halves in matches. But... I'm not sure that I could accuse them of not turning up in a game this year. Do you think that's a fair comment? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like we said, the stretches of play, passages of play where they've been poor, but on the whole, when you look at that each game in its totality and entirety, you're looking back, yeah, they've, they've definitely been much more competitive. And like I said, that is probably the single biggest indicator of why they're for and against. Their points differential stands so helpfully after nine rounds, it's actually in like the top five of the current uh, NRL and not that far off the best in the game. So the fact that they've been far more competitive on a week-to-week basis, even with, you know, some bad games like the Darwin game, up against some teams off, you know, buys and, and bad turnarounds, they've done a good job mitigating damage in the losses they've had. So, you know, it's not it's not something to be proud of per se because you obviously want to be winning instead of losing, but it is a good sign of temperament that the team has been much more competitive. The other thing that's been interesting too is I think that where we've had issues defensively has been more around the ruck than out wide this year. The It's been well documented that Josh Hodgson has had issues with his defence, but by the same 
token, so has Jermaine Hopgood. So you're talking about two players in the middle that have missed more tackles than ideally than what they'd like. And then there was that um, terrific article, uh, was it the Rugby League, League Eye Test, mm-hmm. that, that talked about how teams were the, in, in matches where the Eels didn't perform well, that the teams had worked over the Eels' middle and made them work a lot more than they normally do. And that that then opened up um, opportunities through the ruck. And I was thinking last week and watching the Knights attempting to break the Eels line, and you had a number of uh, missed tackles, uh, like Sean Russell, I think, had was seven or eight missed tackles, something like that. But it, the the way that the Eels slid and scrambled said a lot about the defensive resolve that was out there and the and the systems that they've got working it, like where i think it's fair to say we're now operating on that slide system the com, you know compressed defense but sliding whereas last year it seems more that there was a jam that was happening yeah. and teams were getting around the outside and they made that transition later in the season to a slide yeah. defense yes yeah, absolutely, and I and I, I remember last year when uh, there was a lot of criticism criticism for the Eels' defence, and that they weren't doing anything to fix it. And I said, no, no, they are. Like I'm I'm watching them at training now, working on a slide defence, and there was there were just instances where the team or the players might um, fall out of their system, and it took a little while for them to become comfortable. In that in that slide defence, but I watched them really working on that, and and I think it's I think it's quite effective at the moment, mind you. When you've got a player of Dylan Brown's defensive qualities that's defending out wide, he cleaned up a lot last week, didn't he? Oh, Dill Dill was just relentless in that regard, and it's not to be slept on. But Mitch uses his speed very well to provide massive cover support uh, for his outside men on the right edge too. Yeah, and. And I think that's a very good point that you make about Mitch Moses because he is a really brave defender. The number of big men that they run at Mitch Moses and he he makes... I, I, I should really dig into the stat on this, but he seems to make a lot of one-on-one tackles. And even where he ends up credited with a miss, he's done the job of taking the momentum out of the run. And there's... There's, uh, as far as his defensive work is concerned, he was maligned as a player for his defence before he came to the Eels. And I have all the confidence in the world in Mitch Moses. If you compare him to um, the way some other halfbacks in the NRL defend, and and dare I say it, if if we think back to the days where Chris Sandow... Oh, yeah. Was night and day difference. Yeah, yeah, it's... You, I, I've got all the confidence in the world. Even if, as I said, even if there's tackles where Mitch will miss it, I know that he's gone into that tackle, giving everything that he's absolutely got. And there's a good chance that even if he, as I said, even if he ends up credited with a miss, that he's effectively shut down what was coming his way. So, and as you said, a big part of that has to do with his speed where he's able to get across quickly and cover 
those sorts of shifts, like you see the the South Sydney sort of shift of the ball. But you know, then again, you said that that big test is going to come against South <laughs> yeah, Sydney. Yeah, a couple of weeks down the road. A couple of weeks down the road. So maybe I shouldn't speak too early. So um, yeah, um, mate. So I, I guess getting back to this game specifically. Reds is obviously a big out. Um, how many minutes that uh, we get out of Woody? Uh, he, he seems to be getting extra minutes every week. Yeah, the the Brad Offer is clearly trusting him with more and more of a workload, uh, especially in the absence of Reg. But now we have Ryan Madison looking to be deployed in a specialist middle role, so that also changes the equation this week. Yeah, and and I think. It's not lost that and Andrew Davey has come in. Uh, you said that expedited return. He's come in pretty quickly into the starting lineup for the Eels and BA's obviously looking for uh, his defensive qualities against the, the Gold Coast's pack. We matched up against David Fafita, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. So that's a uh, he and Will Penasini will have their hands full trying to contain the, well, I say contain. When he's on, you have to contain him, but he can be a bit mercurial in that regard. But for feeder is absolutely a game record when he's switched on, so they're going to have their hands full. Yeah, let's hope he's having one of his quieter games. Yeah. And, I, and look, I guess what the defence does with him early on can really determine what sort of game he has. Like, if you can shut him down, yeah, you can, don't if, give him if you can get him quieter, of confidence. maybe yeah, take away the confidence. The thing is... He's going to be coming into this game with a lot of confidence because his his form of recent has has been very very strong, and he's back to that wrecking ball type of play. And we just can't afford for him to get any sort of momentum because, I mean, it's not just the power in his in his runs. He, he's got genuine pace for such yeah, a big block. He can open up and hit the uh, gas absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to see him have a, a an a opening and be hitting full pace. You well, you wouldn't want to be Clint Gutherson facing him. We know Gutho is one of the best defensive fullbacks, but I'd challenge any fullback to be able to produce effective one on one tackles on uh, for feeder. And uh, at the and we know that they've got they've got some good finishers the Gold Coast Titans. Like, if he, if they get a line yeah, break... Yeah, Carl Pereira, uh, obviously, leads the way he's been bagging doubles consistently in that regard, but Sami, Campbell, uh, they're, they're all guys that can convert half an opportunity into four points. Now, I got you to run through the Titans bench, interchange bench before. How do you reckon the Eels bench stacks up against them, mate? I mean, on paper, it's a... I want to say it's at least a TKO for the Eels there. Cartwright's in tremendous form. Madison is a rep caliber player. Brendan Hands has been a really nice revelation this year. And it's, you know, growing game to game. And Macca, well, the question for Macca is can he back up these performances? You know, we've seen him before earlier this season. He had a very good game against Manly, then faded against the Roosters. Uh, this week, he needs to back up a big game against Newcastle and, and really turn a corner there. Um, Do you think if you were... Do you think if you were a Titans supporter that you would look at the bench and go, um, I think we've got the edge there. We had Cardi here with us. 
Um, he, oh well, know, based on their prior experiences of Bryce, absolutely. They'd, they'd be, you know, they'd be, they'd be tainted by, uh, understandably so, by a stint of play from Bryce there where he was just reckless and and played fast and loose. And the Cartwright that we're seeing this year is different from the Cartwright we even saw for Parramatta uh, in years prior. And he is, I don't know what's happened, whether someone had the come to Jesus talk with him in terms of football or, you know, he just he just did the adjustment himself. But the brand of football he is playing this year is outstanding. And it, yeah. it, it makes him a completely different player. And we're starting to see the offloads coming in a good way, not not in a reckless capacity. He is, because he's running so hard and putting in so much effort, when the offloads do come, they're high quality and they're yeah. really setting up plus gains in behind the ruck. Yeah, yeah. So where's the game one for you? I think you've got to minimise the, the likes of Fodawaker and uh, Big Tino in the middle. Uh, and the Eels really need to get a foothold in the ruck. And uh, just so much of this game will flow from there. Uh, the, the Titans are still capable of scoring points uh, from either long range or on the back of Parramatta areas, areas that they present themselves. But if you can uh, get the armrests going in your favour, then, yeah, you've got Moses on the front foot, Dill on the front foot. That left edge is starting to coalesce now. We saw against Newcastle, one of those uh, pet players Eels love to use where Sean Lane gets in the 5'8". And you have Dylan sweeping as a fullback and how effective that can be. So the left is starting to get a few different shapes and structures in place now that lanes uh, back up the match speed. And on the right, well, Moses just, you know, he, he really dictates the flow down that edge, whether he's giving early board to Penasini or putting a foot down himself. So I think if uh, Greg and, and Barlow and Hodgson and Hopgood all do their job in the opening exchanges and we can, you know, get out to an early trial to lead will be in a very strong position because the Gold Coast is going to come out hard and fast and looking for a, a you know big opening flurry. And the Eels need to mitigate that. And if you can travel through that first 20-minute period, right through to halfway, I suppose, and have some sort of ascendancy on the scoreboard and in the flow of the game, I think in the second half you can run away with it. How critical do you think the performance of Josh Hodgson is going to be in this game? He's been a very critical of himself, using that word again there, uh, in the media this week saying he's been down on his expected form and thankful for Brad Arthur for showing some support in him. And we know of BA that is a real calling card of his coaching style, isn't it? He will back his players to the hilt, giving them every opportunity to claw their way out of a slump or anything similar. And in this case, Hodgson has been slumping. You mentioned defensively he's missing tackles. Part of the reason he's missing tackles is he's been looking for very, very strong first-up contact and maybe he needs to transition to not passive, uh, not a passive defensive style, but maybe working more efficiently in terms of his points of contact, right? Not trying to aim up for head-to-head and and smash someone, but help wrap up with the other big boys in the middle. I thought last week... Something technically is going wrong there because he's... He's being bumped off. He, Josh Hodgson, actually is not a small dummy half. He's he's quite a solid unit. We've seen the photos of him from the preseason, which uh, showed that he's he's different. He's a different build to Reed Marnie. Let's just say that. Yeah. And um, and look, Reed has his 
defensive issues, he's probably right up there in terms of missed tackles. With um, whilst there's been criticism of Hodgson, he Marnie's probably at least up there as well in, in the number of missed uh, tackles. But as, as you say, he's he looks like he's going for the bigger contact and he's getting bumped off. And that can happen when, you, when you've got a bigger body against you. I, I said he's not a small body, but he's, he's not as big as, the, as the, uh, the props and the second rowers that are running at him. And he's getting bumped off. And then there's other times where he just looks like he's gassed and he's just, he seems slightly out of position. Um, and in that regard, I think BA can probably be a little bit more aggressive about rotating his dummy halves, yeah. uh, getting hands in maybe a, a set or two earlier than he thinks he needs to get him in uh, to keep Hodgson fresher, both in terms of those initial defensive lapses and then just getting fresher for a second stint in, on the field. Uh, I fought against Newcastle, and again, it's hard to pass how effective it will be for his uh, confidence given that Newcastle were not there mentally. But he was more effective in offense in that first stint. He was distributing the ball pretty cleanly and had a couple of uh, early try assists. That again, the defense was pretty soft. But yeah, but I, think- I agree. I thought I thought his first stint against Newcastle was arguably his most consistent, uh, his best uh, form for the year out there. His second stint, he pulled the trigger on a couple of um, kicks. And that, that's where I was going. I think offensively, the best thing he can do is just put the kick away. At least if it's a called shot and it's the, the kick from dummy half where there is a, a calibrated chaser, I, I'm okay with that. But there was one against Newcastle where there was some offloads and some fe- second-phase play that sort of had the Eels meandering around in front of the uprights and I think it was on tackle three and he decided he was just going to kick ahead and, and those ones just can go away. Um, yeah, that that looked like the play of an inexperienced footballer. Yeah, that at that moment it was it was almost I won't say it was a panic play, but it was almost like oh what am I going to do here? Um, oh, I'll kick it. You know, yeah, I'll kick it. Yeah, not not okay. Let's settle the play down, which you'd expect from a senior player. Let's settle the play down. Let's take the tackle, and let's let's recalibrate where we're at. Where we're we're in complete control in this match. Uh, we don't need to. We don't need to do anything flashy here. But I, I think I've maintained that his confidence has been down. That he's feeling that he's been as as harsh as the critics have been against him. I think he's probably the sort of player who'd be his own harshest critic. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's been uh, the more that the season's gone on, the more that that's plagued his mind. And I think the players are getting around him in a big way. And uh, he just needs a couple of stints like he had at the start of the game against Newcastle just to to give him that confidence back. And, and with a bit of confidence, there's no way he's doing those sorts of plays that he did at the end of the game last week. But do you think the Gold Coast are likely to try to work him over? Oh, it's going to cut both ways. because The Gold Coast are definitely going to target him defensively with those big units, Mo and Tino. Uh, and maybe even get David Fafita coming back into the ruck trying to pick him out. But on the flip side, the flimsiness of the Gold Coast defense could open up opportunities for Josh. So going to be interesting to see which of those two uh, strategies ends up triumphing the most. The most. Sorry. Okay. Now, the return of Bailey Simonson. Are we going to see uh, better run meters from our back five with his inclusion? 
Maybe. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I think Bailey's going to be more productive rucking the ball out than Sean Russell, uh, but he's certainly not going to be boosting Mike Acevo or Hayes Dunster's numbers for the varying reasons there. You know, Acevo's just not a big workhorse when it comes to rucking it out. He's been better, uh, but he's not. You know, unfortunately, that's not his game. And Dunster has been working hard, but there's just an absolute ceiling on his ability to uh, perform right now with that knee that he's uh, trying to re- re- rehabilitate from. So I think Bowie comes in and helps. Uh, but right now, I still think that the biggest contributors there will be Guffo and Penasini. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And it's, I, I wish I could get uh, find the key to what Sevo needs to be more effective from the backfield or certainly as effective in the backfield as he is when he's in the opponent's red zone. But it's just never seemed to have been unlocked. And I think it... I think it really just comes down to that um, the fitness levels and and people might think well what can the eels do to surely they can make him a little bit fitter I, I I think there's as much of a psychological issue in terms of in terms of that as anything else with Sevo he's a power athlete and I and I just I've never really seen too much of him being able to get those meters from the back. In fact, the biggest shock was that break that he made oh, last week. That, that was more indicative of Newcastle's headspace than anything else. I feel like yeah. uh, big Dom Young just gave up. He just didn't want anything to do with that. And yeah, I mean, it was followed up by an absolute shocker of a pass too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can I tell you, I watched training this week and uh, Micah was working on that, uh, that pass. So that left to right pass, he was he was working on it. They had him. They had him. Um, uh, I'm trying to think who he was working with. Um, it, look, it might have even been. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think who he was working with now. But anyway, he spent quite a bit, quite a deal of time um, at training, getting that left to right pass happening. So um, yeah, no stone unturned there to <laughs> rectify that. Okay, let's get into the tips, mate. Yep. Uh, this has the pr- propensity to be another big win for the Parramatta Eels. Uh, the the Titans, they're front runners, but they fade massively, and obviously they're going to be they've been working hard on that, trying to rectify those second half issues. And we saw against Manly, they were able to stimmy the bleeding in what was potentially another big comeback, and then turn it into a solid win. But the Eels also the ability to pile on points. So I am going to tip a big Parramatta Eels win. Uh, I'm, just trying, I'm not sure of what sort of uh, scoreline. So oh, maybe 35 to 8, 35, 8 or 10. Are oh, you going for the disrespectful field goal again? There will be a field goal at some point, yes. Okay. Oh, I'm tipping a 38 to 18 scoreline. I think that the Titans have the sort of attack where they are going to score points mm-hmm. and that the Eels will, the Eels will obviously score more, but I think they're going to pose more of a threat with their attack than what the Knights did last week. So at, at the very least, they get one more try than the Knights. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they got up as high as 24 points, but I think we've got close to 40 in us. Um, turning to first try scorer, mate. I'm going to the hot hand, uh, one of the best players in the team, right centre, Will Penasini. Okay. Now, I came through with the first try scorer last week. It's true. With Dylan Brown. So, 
where will I go this week? Look, I'm I'm going to go with. Here's my here's a quick clue to my selection. Choo choo, the lane train, the lane mate. train. Yeah, yeah, oh, I like it. So I like it. I I just think he. We just started to see some glimpses last week of that combination with Dylan Brown, and I think he's. I think he's got a try on him this week. So I think he is going to score a try at some point, but I'll go for him for the first try. All right. And, and uh, best on field. Best on field. I feel like saying Mitchell Moses is a bit of a cheat so because you know these are sort of games where he's going to likely thrive. So I'll, I'll go for like a 1A, 1B situation here. Um, Jeez. This also feels like a game where Jermaine Hopgood might be able to pop off. Uh, if, the, if the Titans get a little bit loose around the ruck, open up his ability to the ball play before and through the line, maybe he'll be uh, one of the better players in the game. Okay. Well, I, I it's funny because I I had my first instinct was Mitch Moses, the best on field, and then I thought like you, that may well be a call that's too easy to make, and then my next thought was was the king, <laughs> and then I thought. Hang on, if I've just if I've just steered away from Moses as being a bit too easy to call as the as the winner, then I shouldn't go with Gutho because he's he's if anything even more obvious. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my first try scorer and say Sean Lane back lane into the big double FTS yeah. and MVP. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And for our little bonus this week, 60s and myself were out at the Blue and Gold Alliance Golf Day, which is now known as the Ted Solkovitz Memorial Golf Day, where we're able to enjoy some wonderful stories shared by the former players and former greats of the club following a rather tricky day on the greens. Tim Gilbert did a wonderful job emceeing this event, while Bill Richards and everyone behind the scenes that organised it did a tremendous, tremendous job pulling it all together. So here are some excerpts from our chats with Tim Gilbert and some of the other players there on their takes from the day, as well as their predictions for the game on Sunday. Tim, great to have you um, hosting the, uh, being the MC for today's BGA event. Um, and for us, it's a real honour because we're the Cumberland Throw. You were the one that walked around with the raffle board at the old Cumberland Oval. Absolutely. So, uh, did you enjoy yourself today? Uh, I had a great day. And uh, as we all get older, I think we all get more nostalgic. And, of course, today's the uh, Ted Solkowitz Memorial Golf Day. And as a boy, one of six growing up in Guildford, we were always at Cumberland Oval to watch Ted and Ed and all those other mighty players of the late 70s, early 80s. So, now it was a real honour to be here today. Look, of course, it is a, a blue and gold themed day. We've got the big match between the Eels and the Titans this weekend. Magic so, we're going to grab your tips for this weekend. What have you got as the winning score? I think uh, I think Parramatta might just do a, a job on the Titans. I'll say 32 points to 10. And I think that in the form that he was in, after scoring a hat-trick last week and nearly four or five tries, he was really commanding. I think Clint Gutherson will be the player of the match. And first try scorer? First try scorer, let's say Gutho. Mate, it's been an honour. Nice to meet you. You too. And thanks for hosting Go today. to Cumberland Throw. Okay, we're here with the great Eric Gross Senior Guru. Mate, how did you enjoy the day? It was fantastic, mate. The, uh, the weather was great. Everything was was beautiful except for my game. The game was my game was ordinary. <laughs> lucky I had a couple of good players in my team. So, mate, we've heard some great stories. I, I'm not sure what was the best the uh, uh, the married name for Brains's potential wife, 
or the uh, story about the stray dog. But uh, well, and we'll have to leave that for people to guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was uh, it was certainly a great day. The Blue and Gold Alliance, mate. What can you say about that as an organisation? It's really come together, hasn't it? And then guys like Teddy Solkowitz, when he was um, organising it, just brought it up bigger than what it has been. So it's been it's been fantastic. And these days are great to get everyone together. And the, and then the uh, towards the end of the year, in a couple of months, I think there's one the um, the normal reunion. Um, and they're saying it's a weekend thing, so how good's that? <laughs> and how's the gigging going at the moment? A bit quiet last month, but this month we've, we've got some things happening. We've got a gig this uh, Saturday night at Campbelltown Catholic Club, and uh, it's good. Well, for anyone that's listening right now, I went and saw Eric Growth and the Gurus at uh, it was Tungabi uh, Bowling that's Club. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And it was, uh, mate, the set list that you have. It's party central with that uh, that set list, so uh, that's just on the night I saw you. I'm sure it uh, it's mixes pretty much up. the same all the way through. <laughs> mate, <so it's... laughs> but we got to get we got to get your tips for uh, the big match between the Titans and the Eels on Sunday. So you got a winner and a, a rough scoreline for us. Oh shit! Uh, well, Parramatta will win obviously, but the Titans are a much different team this year, so it'll be a tougher game. Um, the score will be, I think, 20, 24 points to 12. Okay. Uh, what about a first try scorer? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> we ask the tough questions here, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Mitchell Moses. Okay. Uh, best on field? Mitchell Moses. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, mate. No worries. My pleasure. We're with the Blue and Gold Alliance president, Billy Richards. Bill, another fantastic day for the Blue and Gold Alliance. Certainly, Craig. It was a wonderful day. Um, great to see so many former players here today um, who have really embraced this day uh, uh, for Teddy and uh, are passionate about their golf and getting together and, and, and celebrating and reconnecting with each other uh, that they uh, that they did last year. So it was fantastic. I was just saying, a guru, that uh, my highlights certainly some of those stories, especially the stray dog story that Muggo <laughs> told. That was a beauty. That was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. And uh, it, it just shows you that, that in those days the selection process was sometimes somewhat awkward. You know, yeah. <laughs> so the next big event for the Blue and Gold Alliance is? The next big event for the Blue and Gold Alliance is our reunion uh, and our uh, Old Boys Day, which is on the reunion's on the 5th of August and uh, the Old Boys Day on the 6th of August. So we're doing it over a weekend. And that's uh, for the Dragons game at uh, Combank Stadium, is that that's, right? That's correct, yes, the Dragons, stadium, the Dragons so, game. So uh, supporters should look out for the Blue and Gold Alliance doing the lap of honour yes. around the stadium on yeah. that day, give you a big cheer. Yeah, and also uh, form the guard of honour for the first grade when they run out in the field, you know, which we, uh, we did last year for the first time in a long while, you know, so with a big group. Fantastic, mate. Now we've got to get your tips for the weekend. Parramatta against the Titans. Uh, have you got a rough, uh, the winner and a rough scoreline for us? Uh, no doubt, no doubt the Eels. I reckon um, probably 24 to 12. And uh, man of the match? Um, Moses, Mitch Moses. First try scorer? Uh, Sivo. <laughs> Mate, uh, really enjoyed today. We always love being involved with the BGA. And uh, thanks again for putting on today. Fantastic. Fantastic to have you again, Craig and John. We're here with Eels legend Jeff Gerrard. Jeff, 
another great day for the BGA. Did you enjoy the day? Oh, awesome day. It's always good to to catch up to both supporters and, and players you played with. And um, we played a, a, a great course here at Cabra. They always put on a good show. So, you know, really excited for this to come around every year. And you know, we should be encouraging more and more players to get along to it. Do you have a highlight, a personal highlight of today? Uh, there wasn't too many highlights, <laughs> I can assure you. Well, maybe not on the golf course, but what about the, uh, the the chats that were going on? Well, you know, it's it's like, you know, I was just talking to Nobby Clark, and, and I'm, I see Nobby once a year here. Yeah. You know, it is an opportunity for you to actually come up to people that you can't see. And obviously during COVID, you know, no reunions going on, it's been a bit of a drought with catching up to people. So, yeah, we've just got to encourage more and more ex-players as well as supporters and sponsors to get along to this thing because great golf course and great day. Yeah, and we've got the uh, reunion, the official reunion comes up uh, for the St George game. Yeah, yes, yeah, St George. Yeah, not my favourite team. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've got to get you, we can't let you go without getting your tips for the big match on Sunday. Eels against the Titans, your winner and a rough scoreline. Uh, look, I mean, the, the, the way our guys are going... They're going to they're gonna win that, and I still think they're going to win by about 15 or 16 points. I, they, they, they've turned the corner, in my view, and whilst the Titans will put up a good show, I don't think they'll be in our class. And uh, what about best on field for the Eels? Um, probably for me, Madison. I, I like him as a player. He yeah. just, you know, he, he's a no-nonsense. He's straight up. There's no crap in him. Uh, yeah, he'd be my best on ground. And first try scorer? Ooh. Oh, that's a hard one. I'm going to go our big prop forward. Uh, junior. Junior Paulo. Yeah, why not? Well, he, he did. He has... not far from here, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he did uh, did get over last match, wasn't it? The offload, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah under the post. Yeah, yeah why not? So, Two I'm weeks in a row. I'm always going to pick a front rower. Come on. <laughs> we don't want those wingers. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. No, Good to pleasure. catch up with you. Good to see you. Okay, we're with one of my favourite players from back in the 70s. Uh, yeah, it's almost a fanboy moment every time I'm talking to this bloke. I, I absolutely bent his ear one day at the pub when we had the chance. <laughs> uh, Ed Solkowitz, try scorer in the 1970. Seven grand final. That's right. Uh, we just needed the crow to put the the goal over. And if a ball <laughs> if a ball goes between two sticks, the premiers. If it doesn't go between sticks, it has been. Mate, but, but the one the, the one I, I considered that we should have won was the year before in '76. Yes, it's mainly. Yes, you know, Neville's gone, but. You know, if he doesn't drop the ball there, we win the game. And we're the better team, and still to this day, to this very day, a team has scored more tries in the grand final and has lost it. Yeah, yeah, and lost by three points yeah. despite despite scoring more tries. I was up on the hill that day, and but you know what? It was such, and I know it's no consolation for the players, but it was such a great year. It was such a, you know, like it, it was... The beginning of change for our club, it really was. And it was spoken about today that it was a sliding door moment as well because if we had a one in those two years, the question is, would the club have recruited Jack Gibson as a coach 
Well, well, I look at it this way also too. V1 76, 77, and, and Eric said he's a pubic hair really. Yeah. Right? If we win 76, 77, who knows? We could have won 78, maybe, yep. 79. Yep. And then these blokes, we, we could have had a run. And I often uh, wonder if Terry Fernley would have been the coach all the way through there, yeah, like yeah. through into the 80s. Yeah. But um, a, a day like today, what's? I mean, it's a big day for the Sockowitz family. The, the day's in honour of your brother, Ted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it special? Is it emotional? What, what's your oh. takes on it? <coughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, it's so special because Ted was on, on the committee with... Um, with Bill, Bill Richards. Yeah, he was on the committee with him, and they were organising uh, just a golf day for the Parramatta boys. Yeah, as it turned out, he's ended up organising his own testimonial golf day. Yeah, because it was called off for a month because yep. of uh, wet weather, and then then he died, and then they had this. So uh, become the Ted Ted Sokovich, uh, testimonial. And what's your highlight of the day, a day like today? Oh, it's it's being captured and uh, putting shit on all the, the players. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I love the band-up, I love the arguments. And they all want, they all want to walk off. Well, we, there's, we heard some stories today that we hadn't heard before. Muggo tells a great story, that's for certain. Yeah. Um, now, we can't let you go without getting your tips on this weekend's game between the Eels and the Titans. What we're after, first of all, is your winner and a rough score for the match? Well, personally, uh, uh, Redcliffe had proven me wrong. I, uh, I just didn't think they'd win a game until like nine, ten games. But they're up there. But I think Paramount are, are on the way up. Yep. And I think the score will be 22 14. Okay, and first try scorer? Uh, well, for Paramount, uh, Pinsetti. Okay, and what about your um, best on field? Who's going to be the best player for the Eels out there? Out there, I think, uh, oh, I forgot his name, the 5'8 now. Dylan Brown. Dylan Brown. Yeah, he's a beauty. Yeah. Mate, thank you so much. It's oh, always great you. to be able to say good day to you. Thank you. Thank you. I, and I'm glad you came over. Hopefully you enjoyed those sounds and insights from the Ted Sokovitz Memorial Golf Day. Thank you to everyone involved for taking the time to chat to myself and Craig. Let's get back to the regular podcast. And of course, there are still the seven other games in Magic Round for us to blitz through with our tip 60s. Round kicks off with a 6 o'clock p.m. start with the Bulldogs in 13th place taking on the Canberra Raiders in 11th. Uh, the Raiders having that last gasp but controversial win over the Dolphins. Canterbury... Uh, finding some traction against the St. George Laura Dragons with the debut of Carl Owapu. How do you see this one, big fella? I think it's a win to the Raiders. I think the Bulldogs have a recent atrocious record, either in Queensland or against the Raiders. I'm not sure exactly whether it's one or the other or both, but I thought that that game against the Dragons last week, whilst entertaining... It wasn't high quality, no. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. I was waiting for whoever's going to stuff up in some way. And wouldn't you know, it was the Dragons that managed to find more stuff-ups than the Bulldogs. So I'm going with the Raiders. I'll go Raiders too. Comfortably. Mm-hmm. Uh, main event Friday night is 
this is a bit of a slap in the face of Manly taking a home game to Suncorp to take on the Broncos. God, that's terrible scheduling. Uh, that is, I mean, Manly did take this game to Brisbane before Magic Round, actually, didn't they? Uh, they, yes. they played, uh, so this is on them making their own uh, work, I suppose, like the Eels and Darwin. Uh, but yeah, the sixth place Seagulls taking on the first place Broncos. Brisbane getting slapped around by the South Sydney Rabbitohs last week. Manly getting done in by the Titans. Uh, the Broncos, heavy favourites here, but have some cracks been exposed for the Ponies? Yeah, perhaps, but I, if I, if I was a Manly supporter, I'd be up in arms as much as I've been up in arms with the Darwin Eels venture. Uh, I, I just don't see how they're in this scenario where they get to play one of their scheduled home games against the Broncos at Suncorp as part of Magic Round. It should, it should have been coordinated in to be a Broncos home match. As it stands, then the Broncos get an extra. Yeah, the, Bron- the Broncos has been an away team in this fixture is insane to me. Yeah, form dictates that it's the Broncos and it's the Broncos easy. Yeah, I, I think the Broncos, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is at least a, a passage of play where Manly have them uh, not on the hooks, but maybe asking some questions. But I'll tip the Broncos here too. Uh, that brings us to Saturday, big fella, where action kicks off at 3 o'clock with the Warriors hosting the Panthers. Uh, New Zealand being one of the more pleasant surprise packers this year, playing some fantastic team-orientated football. Penrith, well, their struggles are sliding a little bit under the radar. Uh, they did just drop a game against the West Tigers, and they're on the same amount of wins as the Parramatta Eels, 60s, and yet one team yeah. is uh, treated as a premiership favourite, understandably so, but the other team is like, oh, the Eels going to make the finals? So I don't know. Uh, Penrith are tracking very bizarrely this year. Yeah, there's... Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that they're missing Coruscant mm-hmm. at dummy half. But, you know, in, even in saying that, they, they've had to have periods of time where they've played without him, where they've played without other key players, even even Cleary uh, for periods last year. And they still were able to get the job done. There's Maybe it's just that hangover of winning two premierships in a row. And, and the year before for the grand final, it's just been a long, long campaign for them. Yeah, and it's it's hard to be up for such a period of time. So I'm not ruling out their chances of winning the competition this year. I just think that having that highly successful period in the regular rounds, like just so consistently successful, that's just such a hard grind to maintain. And maybe mentally they're, they're just not into finding that way to win on a weekly basis that they have in the past. But they'll get the job done against the Warriors. I'm springing for the upset here. Uh, Sean's nickel clock start back. Tohu Harris back. Uh, I, I just think the Warriors have it in them to not niggle, but be that you know ankle biter sort of uh, uh, dog in this fight that will drag the Panthers down and, and maybe grind out a victory. Oh, I guess this will be the big pointer to where the Panthers' headspace is at because I think they'll be deeply embarrassed by that loss to the Tigers. That, that is probably week. a factor that I didn't consider is how much you're going to be bouncing back from that, but I'm going to back the Warriors here. Uh, brings okay. us to the uh, the compliment sandwich game here, the one that's stuck yeah. in between the, the two, uh, the curtain raiser in the main event. It's the Sharks versus the Dolphins, 2v9. Uh, Cronulla building nicely of the return of Nico Hines. The Dolphins, well, I won't say they've... Uh, it'd be way too unfair to say that they have sort of fallen off the tracks the last couple of rounds, given that they were... Done in controversially by Canberra, uh, but they've been 
revelatory, I suppose, under Wayne Bennett's tutelage this year. Uh, this is a big game here because it gives uh, the Sharks a chance to maybe open up some space on the top of the ladder or for the Dolphins to get right back into the hunt for uh, the, the top two. No, I think the Dolphins, I, I picked them to finish down near the bottom of the table. They've done a bit better than I thought they would. I think they've played above themselves so far this year. I, I think there's been some teams that have maybe underestimated them, especially with those comeback uh, performances. Um, Sharks win this easy. Yeah, I, I tip the Sharks, Sharks here too. Win, Sharks win 18 or more. No, Hamanuele is obviously a big out for the Sharks on the back of a hip drop tackle, I believe, but they get back uh, Fanuk and Tracy uh, a couple of ways too. So they're, they're looking in good shape. I definitely think the Sharks are the favourites here. Betting line reflects that. And then the big game to finish off Saturday night, Melbourne Storm in fourth, taking on the third place, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, the betting can't separate these two teams pretty much. But I think South deserve to be the favourites in this one. Yeah, it's, it looks, it's arguable that this is a home game for the Storm up in Queensland. Uh, at the start of the year, honestly, I honestly believe that South might be on the slide. And once more, they've left me with egg on my face because they've been... Like they've just been quite dynamic, especially in the in recent weeks. But the storm, mate, the storm, the storm in Queensland. I have to go for the storm in Queensland. I really do because they, I mean, they made their home up in Queensland with uh, COVID before the before it was really that bubble mm-hmm. scenario, didn't they? And it was, um, and even after it came out, it, it was just, um, and wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't Paramount one of them like famous streaks they snapped was the Storm's dominance in Queensland? Yes, yes. But it's they are just very, very comfortable playing up in Queensland. And, and they, they turn the match up pretty favourably against South Sydney historically. Yeah. I yeah. am going to tip the Rabbitohs here. I just think they've got so much momentum, but I would not be surprised to see Melbourne get up. Yeah, Storm by six for, for mine there. Uh, then we get to Sunday. There's two games before the Parramatta Eels take the field, starting with the West Tigers and Dragons in what must be said is close to a spoon bowl at 1.50 p.m. So the Dragons... Imagine, a, imagine talking about a spoon bowl in, what, round 10. It's... And it's almost clear cut, isn't it? I mean, the Cowboys yeah. are thereabouts too, and we'll talk about them in the next match, but uh, the, the Dragons are trending downwards and fast. Uh, they're dropping players, shifting key players around. Uh, the coach, I mean, he, he knows he's a dead man walking. Like, they're, they're literally doing uh, like en- entrance interviews for potential coaching candidates while he's trying to coach without having been sacked yet uh, versus the West Tigers who uh, are appointing key recruitment staff against the, uh, not even against the wishes of their head of football, but without even informing him that it's happening. Uh, so the, the Tigers obviously lost start wins against Penrith. Uh, will that kickstart something for them? I don't know. Everyone's talking up poor. I say poor because Jareen Buller is just a young kid playing fullback, and every time they talk about him, it's you know young superstar Jareen Buller putting unfair expectations on this kid that's you know got a couple of caps to his name, and you know trying to build him up so they can cut him down. I just there's a part of me that says, look, the common sense selection is that you've got the West Tigers on a bit of a high after their win last week. Where, something that maybe they you could argue they were building towards, 
Then you've got the Dragons, who must be right at the bottom of their psychological um, strengths. Yeah, they're, like they're, they're, they're cratering just, out. They're, they are just, you know, their, their confidence must be at an absolute low. And, and, and you think, all, surely the momentum, just from a mental perspective, is with the Tigers. And then you shock back into reality and you go, this is the Tigers. Yep. The this great, is the, the great team, as, as you said, in like with the with the team starting to show that they've got something that they can offer. The off field goes and makes an appointment without consultation, and it just every now and again that there the organisation itself leaves you scratching your head. Like if you're a Tigers supporter, you'd be beside yourself with some of the things that go on there. If they can isolate themselves from all the off-field crap that goes on around that club, they should get that job done. Um, I'm going to select them, but nothing's going to surprise as an outcome. Genuine coin toss game for me, so I'll go for it with heads being Tigers, tails being Dragons. It's a Dragons win. Yeah, Uh, and I'm not going to argue with you. You know, 17th versus 15th. And, you know, the different degrees of drama on both sides, on and off the field, uh, just, yeah, uh, nightmare. Tip- I mean, this season has been a tipper's nightmare. This is uh, embryonic of it right here in this game. Where, like, which, how, which of the two poisons do you pick? Uh, brings us to the penultimate game, the fifth-place Sydney Roosters taking on uh, one of the huge disappointments this year in the 16th-place Cowboys, another team battling it out for the spoon right now. Roosters, I mean, almost unbackable favourites, $1.25 versus $4 for the Cowboys. And I've got to say, I know that the Cowboys have had a decent game or two against the Roosters in recent years, but this should be a, a win and a big win for the Tricolors. If we play to form, then, the, as you said, the Roosters get a massive win, a massive win. The Cowboys are performing this year how I think a lot of people expected them to perform last yep. year. Was last year an anomaly? All indicators right now are yes. The the players who were standout performers last year are back to pre twenty twenty two form. the The breakout stars are, are barely a shadow of who they were. Uh, yes, they've had some injury concerns, but if if you were basing it on what they did last year, you'd say they are the the biggest flop of the season thus far. Even even for having the odd win here and there, they've just looked ordinary. They just really have. So, Roosters easy. Yeah, Roosters in a canter. I suppose the only wild card here is the Victor Radley factor and whether he gets Simbind one or multiple times, maybe up in the way for the Cowboys to be competitive. But, yeah, they, they just look bereft of direction, uh, listless. And that rounds out Magic Round, boys. Oh, boy. uh, no, no. I'm I'm going to back the bye against the Knights. Because <laughs> um, one of the crucial things about any any matchup is that the team turns up to yeah, play. Yeah, I was about to say, it's going to be an understrength for Newcastle. <laughs> Knights aren't even in the country, so yeah. you've got to back the bye in that one. Yeah. So, so. They'll just, they'll, the bye will just kick off, pick the ball up and... 
and uh, trot down the field. So yeah, game over. Yeah, Newcastle, how they actually handle this buy is going to be fascinating because they come out of this one and take on the Gold Coast Titans at home. So it, that's a not, not a, a layup or gimme game, uh, but uh, given the way they play, the Titans could um, absolutely put a posting on them, uh, pacing or posting on them on there too. So yeah, very, very interesting. And for the Eels, they're on a road trip to the nation's capital next week, which we'll talk about obviously uh, a week after this game. But yeah, got to get through the Titans first and got to get through this game without injury, equally importantly. So just a reminder as well, Come into Parramatta Leagues Club, the home of the Eels, and join us for that match. Pre-game, post-game coverage. So we'll be uh, on about 5.30, in the pre-game. Yeah, about, about 5.30 in Jack's Bar and Grill. So come in, grab a feed, have something to drink, listen to the footy talk. We'll switch over to the main coverage of the game, and then immediately post-game, We'll in with our instant reaction. But what we'll what we will do for people who are always curious about this is that if there's uh, any Eels players being interviewed or the coach being interviewed, that sort of thing, we'll switch to the broadcast to get any of the um, any of the takes that uh, are coming straight from the game. So that we'll have that mix of uh, our takes plus. Obviously, you want to hear from the coach and the players whenever that's covered in the broadcast. Yes, indeedy. So, as always, thanks for tuning in and giving us a listen. Hope you enjoyed the extended preview coverage uh, with some special guests there today. Um, But we'll catch you on Sunday and in the next episode. Go you wheels.